Welcome back, Cathedral Choir. It is a joy. It is a joy to lead in worship with you again. Well, for the better part of a decade, my father-in-law has been advocating for a sermon entitled, Pay at the Pump. And the title is a reference to our ability to pay for our gas at the pump as opposed to going inside and and having an interaction with a store clerk. The observation is a critique of how we are devaluing human interaction as we develop more efficient ways to accomplish everyday tasks. These new ways of doing things, they tend to eliminate our need for interactions with others whether at the gas station, the grocery store, or even increasingly fast food restaurants, tasks that previously required human interaction simply don't anymore. In some cases, we still have a choice, and in others, there is no choice. In fact, participating in community is increasingly a choice rather than a requirement in order to navigate everyday life. You could conceivably now live a life with very little human interaction, perhaps no face-to-face communication. And so this morning, I'd like you to consider, when do you find yourselves choosing community? And when do you find yourselves intentionally avoiding it. Do you remember those first few weeks of the pandemic? How did you experience it? You know, if I'm honest with you, I found those first few weeks to be a bit of a relief. We suddenly had no social obligations on the calendar. Did you experience that feeling at all? It was, it was a great relief to me that we no longer had these, these commitments on a nightly or weekly basis. And I think one of the reasons we experienced that relief is that being with people, relationships, they take work. They take energy. In relationships, we inherently risk something. By being in relationship with one another, we risk bumping up against viewpoints that are different than our own. We risk rejection. And this risk has only been amplified by the increased polarization of the last decade and a half or so. Now, in talking about community and relationships, I am, for the most part, referring to to in-person interactions The social experience that we have online is is largely curated either by us or for us. We visit the news outlets of our choice, often with leanings that we are sympathetic towards. It is now well documented that our online experience is carefully curated by algorithms to ensure that we stay, that we spend more time. The online experience is a carefully manicured counterfeit version of the real world. And friends, we were created for the real thing. 
for authentic community. Our scripture today that Chandler referred to with our young people just a few minutes ago underscores the importance of being an authentic community with one another. And I want to invite you to open up the Bibles that you've brought with you from home, your mobile devices, or turn in your pew Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Beginning at verse 15, we read Jesus saying, If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our passage this morning, among other things, provides an outline for how we are to navigate the challenges that arise within Christian community. Now, the passage assumes the interactions are happening within the context of community. This passage is not an invitation to begin going around grabbing people and telling them where they fall short. This passage assumes community And so it is, first of all, an invitation to be in good and healthy, authentic relationship with one another. But good relationships, they take work, intentionality, investment. They take time. Consider a 2018 study that found the average American, the average American, spent 11 hours a day on solitary activities. This is pre-pandemic, like watching television. How would you have scored? How much time do you spend investing in human relationships? Because there are no shortcuts to building human relationships, you are either doing it or you're not. It requires time, and time is valuable because it's it's one of the only truly finite, non-renewable resources that we have. We have the time that we have. There is no making more of it. And it occurs to me that the way I choose to spend my time is a direct reflection of what I truly value. The reality is that I make time for the things that are most important to me, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And so if I do an audit of how I spend my time, it will tell me exactly what is important to me. 
what would an audit of how you spend your time say is of most value to you? In the midst of busy schedules, commitments, and other responsibilities, how are you being intentional about leaning into investing in human relationships? Do you need to be allocating more time to developing healthy relationships, to building community? You know, another obstacle that we face, in addition to making the time we need, is the moment that we find ourselves in. You see, this culture that we find ourselves in currently places outsized value on the individual. In his book entitled The Upswing, Harvard sociologist Robert Putnam documents the rise of individualism in the United States over the last 60 years or so. And in his book, he details the way that we in the United States have moved from a place of community focus in the 1960s to the I focus of the present. And he writes that this is not an arc of historic inevitability, but, but an arc constructed by human agency. In other words, it's an arc that is well within our control. Somehow, we have made an idol of individualism as a value to be venerated. When the reality is that the notion that we are distinct, disconnected, self-reliant people is an illusion. Hear that again. The reality is that the notion that we're distinct, disconnected, self-reliant people is an illusion. In his book, Food and Faith, Duke theologian Norman Wiersba points out that each of us carry with us evidence of our own dependence on one another. There's not a single person in here who made the choice to be here. Now, and I don't mean that you didn't choose to be here today, but rather, there's not a single person in here that, that made the choice to be here on this earth. Each of us were created through the choices of others. Your life, my life, was utterly dependent on another human being, and each of us carries with us a physical scar that is a reminder of this singular fact. Our belly buttons. Your belly button, or Bebo, as my kids call them, is a reminder that your origin is in another. That you were wholly dependent on the life of another for all nourishment. It's a scar that we carry with us the rest of our lives that ought to serve as a reminder that we remain wholly dependent on human relationships for human flourishing. I'll bet you didn't think we are going to talk about belly buttons today. 
Robert Waldinger and Mark Schultz are the director and associate director of the Harvard study, and and perhaps you've seen or read some of their work recently. This was the longest in-depth anthropological study that's ever been done. In fact, Dr. Waldinger is the fourth director of this study that began all the way back in 1938 with an initial 724 participants, and then has included their partners and descendants, now including more than 2,000 people, and the study set out to answer the simple but not so simple question, what makes us happy in life? In their book, The Good Life, they share their findings, and what they found was this singular key truth. Good relationships are the key to a happy life. They found that good relationships make us happier, keep us healthier, and help us to live longer. So though they take time, though they are risky, they are worth every risky moment. That's it. But we shouldn't be surprised by this because Scripture is clear on this point. Are you familiar with the creation story? In the book of Genesis, in the very first chapter, we read that that God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light. And God said that the light is good. And then it says, God creates dry land and says, it was good. And then God creates fruiting trees and says, it is good. Then God makes the fish and the birds and God makes all of the animals. And God said, it is good. And then in the second chapter of Genesis, we read that God creates a human being, looks down and sees the human being alone, and for the first time says, it is not good. And in the very beginning, God creates the first human-human relationship in order that all would be good. Friends, what could it look like if we here at First Presbyterian Church of Fort Lauderdale began investing in real, authentic Christian community? What if we began to model to the world out there what it looks like to disagree amicably to invest in one another, understanding that that is far more important than where we land on this or that issue. Friends, I want to invite you outside today, immediately following this service, to discover opportunities to be intentional about the way you spend your time on a weekly basis, investing in meaningful, authentic, and healthy relationships that will make us happier, healthier, help us to live longer, joining in Christ's mission right here on this earth. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Friends, this very table that we gather around is a reminder of community. Because this table is not closed off to anyone. It is open to all who would 
declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Friends, let us pray. It is right and our joy, Creator God, to give you thanks and praise. For in the beginning you created the heavens and the earth. You've given life to every living thing and made us in your image. And even when we turned away from you, you did not turn away from us. And in the fullness of time, you sent your Son to be Emmanuel, God with us. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon these gifts of bread and juice that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. In this feast, make us one with you and one with each other. Inflame us with your Spirit that we may be united in ministry in every place, one body, one faith, and one baptism, sending us into the world in your marvelous light, ready to serve others and work for peace. We pray in the name of the triune God. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night of his arrest, took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of our risen Lord until he comes again. The gifts of God for you, the people of God. Take and eat. <laughs> 